So glad that you're here today and worshiping with us. What a privilege it is to be able to gather as the people of God. We're going to begin today where we ended last week. At the end of Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. And here's what the word of God says. And when Jesus finished these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus was teaching as one who had authority. And the, the authority with which he taught led the crowds to be astonished. They'd never seen anyone who taught like this. They're, they'd never seen anyone who spoke on behalf of God like this. And they were astonished. And I think, I hope, that as we've looked through the Sermon on the Mount, that we as the people of God today can share in their astonishment. That it's clear that this Jesus is, is different. That there's an authority in his words like we have never heard before. There's so much truth in what Jesus has said. So much that resonates in our hearts as the creator of the universe tells us as his created people how to live rightly in a way that pleases God. How to live in wisdom and not foolishness. True wisdom. Wisdom from above. And as we move out of the Sermon on the Mount this morning, Matthew allows us to see that the authority that Jesus has is not only contained in his words, it's also displayed in his deeds. He expresses his authority not only in his teaching, but also in bringing about miraculous works. In fact, it's these physical displays of authority, these miracles that we'll begin to study more in depth in Matthew chapter 8 that gives us confidence and the authority that Christ has over all things. You see, these, these physical displays of Christ's authority are meant to be evidence of his greater authority that he's already expressed through his teaching. And what an act of grace that God has given to us these displays of Christ's authority. What an act of grace that, that God has shown us these demonstrations of Christ's power to remind us that Jesus is no ordinary man. That he clearly has access to God in a way that no other person has to this point in history. He clearly knows truth that no one else has been able to communicate in the history of the world. And he has a power that could only be held by someone who had access, unique access to God. The favor of God is clearly displayed on the life of Jesus and not just in his teaching, but also in his work. It's also important to know though, that even as we transition out of a time of teaching to a, a time of Christ displaying his power through physical works, that Christ has not stopped teaching us. That even in the midst of these physical works, Christ is unveiling the reality of his kingdom. He's still teaching us as his people about who he is, the kind of kingdom that he is building and who we are to be as his people. There's still teaching happening through the physical act that we need to be reminded of. In both his words and his deeds, Jesus is teaching, about, teaching us about his kingdom and who he will be as our king. You see, this happens a lot in the Bible and in life. 
that the physical serves to reinforce the spiritual, and that's what's happening here. I remember some years ago, I got to work at a camp in North Louisiana called King's Camp. It was a small camp, but they had this incredible high ropes course. Anybody ever been in a high ropes course? You scale these posts way up in the air. They have wires between them. And luckily you're attached to some rope on the ground, but you try to do these wonderful elements. And then at the end, hopefully you get to zip down after you've made it all through. My favorite element that we had in our ropes course though was called a power pole. And it was this pole that was 24 feet high and you would climb up it had a rope attached to you, and then you had to stand on top of the pole. It's not very big. And you have to turn around, and then you jump, and you try to grab a trapeze. Now, when you're standing at the bottom of the pole, it doesn't look that difficult. But I'm telling you guys, when you get to the top, and you got feet as big as mine, and you try to stand on top and turn around and jump, it's a little bit of a challenge. It was challenging to me and it was challenging to every single camper that came through that was able to do it. And we used that physical moment, that physical element to teach truths about the spiritual reality of God. There are times where God's going to call you to do crazy things. There are times where God's going to call you to do scary things. There are times when God's going to call you to jump off the top of a pole. And you got to trust, you got to have faith that he's going to be there to catch you and guide you to, to where you are, are being called to go. And it's amazing how in those physical displays of human action, a spiritual reality took root in the life of a camper in a way that it never would have had we just sat in a room and discussed it. What was kind of abstract and only a mental construct suddenly took on flesh in the real world. And they were able to understand in greater ways what God was doing and how he functioned in this world. And something similar is happening here, although more profound. And these physical miracles dealing with, with human sickness, human illness that we'll see in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is teaching us something about his kingdom. He's doing something physical that is teaching us a spiritual reality. He's showing us who will be valued in his kingdom. He's showing us how people in his kingdom should properly respond to him as their king. And he's reminding us of what the ultimate work of his kingdom will be. And these miracles, Jesus is continuing to teach us. So let's look at these incredible displays of Christ's power and let's seek to learn the lessons that he has for us in our passage today. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. Here's what the word of God says. When Jesus came down the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He's suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and I will heal, heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy 
to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him Many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed those who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses, and he bore our diseases. So within this passage, there are three sections, each dealing with three accounts of three miracles, but all being utilized in the story of the kingdom that Matthew is writing to teach us more about the reality of this King Jesus and his kingdom. So again, we're learning through these three sections who is important to Jesus and his kingdom, who he values, what the proper response of the people in the kingdom should be to this newly established or newly unveiled King Jesus. And finally, being reminded of the greater work that Christ is doing on our behalf. So three themes that we see in Matthew 8 that we're going to look at more closely to help us remember and, and be more solidified in our understanding of the kingdom that Christ is building and his role as king. There's this number one, theme one, the surprising people Jesus heals. Theme two, the proper posture of these surprising people. And theme three, the glorious purpose in this surprising Work. Let's consider each of these themes that Matthew unveils in his eighth chapter. Theme one, the surprising people Jesus heals. Once again, Matthew's showing us that the people we would come to expect to be a part of the kingdom of God, the people that we would expect Jesus to pay attention to, is different. It's different than we expect. It's surprising. There's so many elements of Christ's story that are surprising, and we're reminded of many of them in the Christmas season, right? I mean, he came in a surprising way. God taking on flesh. And if he's the king of the earth, you'd think he would have been born into the greatest that mankind had to offer and that the, the greatest people would be coming to worship him. And yet none of those expectations are met. Everything's turned on its head. He's He's born to seemingly unimportant people, Mary and Joseph. He's born in an unimportant town, Bethlehem. He's born in a manger, not a palace. Shepherds are the first ones to come and worship him. So many things about his beginning is unexpected. It's surprising. And that continues throughout the story of Jesus. 
There are so many aspects of his ministry that are surprising, so many elements of his kingdom. We've already seen some of these in the Beatitudes, right? It's the poor in spirit who are blessed, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted and reviled. Those are the ones who will be blessed in the kingdom of God. That certainly is surprising. And so I guess it should be unsurprising that the people that Jesus seeks out and that Jesus heals in Matthew chapter 8 are, by our standard, surprising. Each of these people that Jesus interacts with in the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 8 are unexpected because all of them were in some ways marginalized by the people of God. Think about it. Jesus begins his ministry of physical healing, displaying his authority over human illness by cleansing a leper. Thankfully, we don't have to deal with leprosy very much, especially in America these days, but it was a devastating disease for a number of reasons. It was a skin disease, so you could, you could see the disease. You couldn't hide the disease. It was evident for all to see, and as a result of that, people shunned you. They didn't want to be near you. Because they were afraid that you would make them unclean. But the, the physical issues and the communal issues were only enhanced because of the religious issues that this illness caused. A person who was declared a leper was declared to be ceremonially unclean. They were thought of by the people of God as being cursed by God and dangerous to the community of God. And as a result, they were separated from that community and not allowed to participate in any religious ceremonies that were considered to be essential for the life of God's people. You can see that in Leviticus 13 and Numbers chapter 5. In fact, people were so scared of these people, so nervous that their disease would be transmitted to them, that, that their uncleanness would make them unclean that those who had leprosy were required when they were in public to scream, unclean, unclean, so that no one could get next to them. And that's hard for us to understand. So I was thinking through this week how I could communicate the way that the people at this time looked at lepers. And it brought me back to a, a scenario a couple of years ago with my son Jude. And we were uh, eating dinner with some friends at Nukes, a really great sandwich place in North Irving. And we were potty training him at this time. And so we had to go to the restroom. And uh, we were washing our hands. Uh, Jude was finished doing what he went to the restroom to do. And uh, I noticed out of the corner of my eye that he was moving towards something. And, and then I, I noticed what he was moving toward. And I began to guess what he was fascinated by. There was a urinal. And uh, for those of you who don't know, men's restrooms tend to have urinals and and in the urinals, very often times, there are what's called urinal cakes. And for some reason, the people who design these urinal cakes make them in flashy colors that just really appeal to a two or three-year-old's eye. And I knew that my son was moving toward that urinal to pick up that urinal cake and ask me what it was. And I can't communicate to you the horror in this dad's heart. And I looked at my son, and with every ounce of energy in my body, I yelled at him, No! Stop! Please do not put your hand in that 
toilet because that will make me throw up. And I don't know what I'm going to do to be able to get you clean and take you back to the table and let you finish your pizza. I, I'm going to be so disgusted. I'm not going to be able to touch you. I don't, please just stop whatever you're doing and look at me. I scared that child so bad he was crying even as we went back to the table. But I just could not let my son pick up a urinal cake. It was just just gross. So gross. The people back then looked at lepers like urinal cakes. Don't touch them. Because if you touch them, you're not going to be able to get that grossness off. Now we laugh at that there, but I mean, but imagine if that's your life. Imagine if people look at you that way. Imagine if they think you are that dirty and disgusting that they would never want anyone to come near you and they would scream at their children if they came close to you. That was their reality. And that's why what Jesus does in verse three is so astonishing. Think about this. Someone that had to proclaim that they were unclean so that no one would touch them. Can you imagine how long it had been since this person had been touched? No one would come near them. And yet, what does Jesus do? Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He didn't just say. He has the authority. We will see it later. He has the authority just to speak it, and it's done. But what does Jesus do? He touches him and says to him, I will be clean. He touched him before he was clean. And that touching made him clean. Astonishing that Jesus would interact with a leper this way and that it wasn't Jesus who was affected, but it was the man. This man could not make Christ unclean, but he certainly could make him clean. Shocking. Surprising. And then Matthew's narrative transitions. We move from the leper to a Gentile. Another surprising encounter, another person that is on the edges of the Jewish community. A centurion comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his servant. Now, a centurion was a Roman military officer who commanded a group of 100 Roman soldiers known as uh, as a centuria. And they would be sent out throughout the Roman kingdom to make sure that peace was established and they would carry out orders in all the provinces of Rome. And this Gentile soldier approaches Jesus, a Jewish Savior, Messiah, and asks him for help. And Jesus agrees. He said, I'll go to your house and I'll heal this servant. But the centurion doesn't want him to come because he spent a lot of time around Jewish people. And he knows that if Jesus comes into his home, he could be considered again ceremonially unclean. We see that in Acts chapter 10, verse 28. But the centurion says, you don't have to put your reputation on the line for me. You don't need to come to my house because I know that if you simply say it, it will be done. And Jesus does. And he marvels at the centurion's faith in the the authority that Christ has to be able to do this. And in this moment, we see why Jesus allows this interaction with this Gentile centurion and his servant. Look at verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12. 
Jesus heard this, he marveled and said, truly I say to you, with no one in Israel have I I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west, right, Gentile areas, and they will recline at a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Once again, we see that Jesus is concerned, not just with one people, but with all people. And there will be people from every corner of the earth. So long as they place their faith in him, the kind of faith that we see displayed in the centurion's life, who will be welcomed at the table of the faithful people of God. It's surprising that he would interact with a Gentile. They were thought of being outside of the covenant promise, but Jesus says, no, I've come to to save everyone, to heal everyone. And the Gentiles are included in that, and I'm grateful as a Gentile that that was true. The final healing is a bit more personal. Jesus heals the apostle Peter's mother-in-law. Women at this time, if you do some research, were also marginalized, not given the same place in society as men but Jesus has concern for her. And even though, again, a a person with the fever was not supposed to be touched because they could make you unclean, here again, Jesus sees her and touches her and she is healed. So let's think about the surprising work of Christ displayed in this theme. The people Jesus allows to experience his miraculous healing are the very people that this society looked down upon are discarded. But Jesus doesn't. He notices the leper. He notices the Gentile. He notices the woman and he heals them. He sees what others don't see and his kingdom values what other kingdoms do not. Something different qualifies you to be a part of this kingdom. Something different qualifies you to get the attention of King Jesus. And that leads us to theme theme number two. Not only the surprising people that Jesus heals, but the proper posture of these surprising people. Another unexpected element is the fact that these people know how to address Jesus. They know how to come to him. The leper the centurion, the mother-in-law of Peter, they display in their own ways the proper approach to Jesus, the proper response to him as our king. They show a knowledge of who they are and they show a knowledge of who Christ is. Consider the leper. He comes to Jesus. He kneels before him, verse two, and he says, Lord, He acknowledges the authority of Christ. He's likely heard about his miraculous healings that we looked at briefly in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. He knows that this person is different and he has a unique authority and he appeals to that authority. He appeals to that ability. But he does not come with entitlement. He doesn't come to him and say, hey, Jesus, you created me, you created this world, I'm a part of your people, and I deserve to be healed. You can do it, so do it. He doesn't come with that kind of arrogance. What what does he say? Verse 2, as he kneels, Lord, if you will, you can make me 
clean. He acknowledges Christ's authority. He acknowledges Christ's uniqueness, but he rests in his wisdom. What's your will? It's like he's heard Christ talk about the Lord's Prayer. Not my will. This is what I would want. I know you can, but your will be done. Lord, I desire this. I know you are able to do it, but will you do it? Is it, is it in your will? Can something good happen from this? Can you be glorified? Will you do this? And Jesus does. What humility and trust in the sovereignty of God that we see on display in the leper. The centurion approaches Jesus in much the same way. He addresses him somewhat surprisingly as Lord as well. Verse six. So he recognizes Christ's authority and what may be surprising, he actually has the most articulate expression of Christ's authority in verses eight and nine. The centurion replied to Jesus, please don't come to my home, I'm not worthy. I don't wanna, I don't wanna bring your cleanliness into question, but what's more is I know you don't need to come. And listen to how he expresses his understanding of Christ's not need to come to his house. For I too, verse nine, am a man under authority with soldiers who are under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. Jesus, I understand authority. I'm under authority. I got people who are in authority under me, and, and they do what I ask them. And I know you have a greater authority than me. You have authority over all of the, the spiritual realities of this world. And I know that if you say for this person to be healed, that the elements that you created in this world will follow your voice and that person will be healed. What a stunning declaration of the understanding of the authority of Christ, that he knows that Jesus has the kind of authority over this earth that he could speak something here and it would happen there without him even needing to touch this servant. And so Jesus does. And in verse 10 says, he's found no one in Israel with that kind of faith, that kind of understanding of the authority of Christ. And finally, Peter's mother-in-law. There's no recorded request here, but clearly Jesus has a love for Peter. And so he responds out of that love. But Peter's mother-in-law, immediately after she's healed, wants to express her gratitude by serving Jesus probably making him a meal as a way to just say thank you for saving my life, for making me well. So these surprising people display a proper understanding of who Jesus is, and this is appropriate for the kingdom of God. We must, as citizens of the kingdom, always remember who Jesus is and who we are, because when we forget that, we are prone to move from lives of wisdom to lives of foolishness. The religious people of this day did not react to Jesus in this way. The Pharisees, the scribes, those who should have known, who should have been able to recognize the authority of Christ, they were the very ones who missed it. So once again, Christ is reinforcing this idea that it's not your religious behavior that makes you fit for the kingdom of God. It's what you say about Christ. These people, they trusted in the sovereignty of God. These people trusted or, or placed their faith in his ability 
This, these people were grateful for the mercy that they had been shown. This is right. And the kind of posture that we must always have as the people of God. Because God is doing something even more amazing for us. Which leads us to theme number three. A reminder of the glorious purpose of Christ's surprising work. As we consider these surprising people and their proper responses to Christ, Matthew is telling us about why they were healed, what the ultimate purpose was, and what it reveals about the kingdom of God. Remember, healings are miraculous. They're not common. They don't happen all the time. They, they suspend what normally happens in order to make a larger spiritual point. And seeing the authority of Christ over sickness and seeing the, the authority of Christ over the physical, Matthew is telling us we can trust his authority over the spiritual. The physical is, is reinforcing the spiritual. The, the physical act is showing us a greater spiritual reality. What Christ is doing here is reinforcing his role as the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is fulfilling what Isaiah spoke about in, in chapter 53 of his prophetic work. Verse 4 that we read earlier today. Jesus, in this passage, is bearing the griefs and carrying the sorrows of those who have been sent out by the religious community. And he, eventually, will be stricken, smitten, and afflicted. So not just three, these three people can be healed, but all of us can be healed. And not just from our, our physical issues, but from our larger spiritual issues that will then have consequences for our physical world. He's painting a picture here, a physical picture of God's larger work, his larger work of healing, his larger work of salvation that is the good news of great joy that we have been longing for. Verse 4 is such an interesting verse of Matthew chapter 8. After this leper's cleansed, Jesus says to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. Well, that seems odd, right? I mean, this is pretty cool what Jesus just did. I should go tell people so they can trust Jesus. But Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So why would Jesus ask this person not to tell what he has done? And why would he say to him, go to the priest and be declared clean? The motivation of those two commands unveils what Christ is doing. The, the ultimate work that Christ is doing. The answer to these two questions are so important for our understanding of the greater work of Christ. Jesus asked for the leper to be silent in order to make sure that the ultimate purpose of his coming is not lost. See, it's very easy for us to get caught up in the miracle and miss the one who made the miracle. Jesus didn't want to create some sort of sideshow with wonder-working miracles that drew crowds but did not lead to legitimate faith. This isn't some circus act that Christ is doing. The miracles are to prove a larger point about the reality and teaching of Christ, but if they're divorced 
from the teaching of Christ. They can give the wrong impression. People of God weren't ready to hear about the miracles because they would be obsessed with the miracles and not with the larger work that God was intending to do through Christ. How often we forget about the true source of our hope by focusing on the temporary and not the eternal. I think it's a good reminder for us even today. So many of our churches and so many of our our understandings of the Christian life is so focused here in this life. When illness comes our way, when, when sickness comes our way, the immediate response is to pray for healing. God, heal me. And some expressions of Christianity, as we talked about last week, say that healing is even your right if you express enough faith. But friends, that's not a rightly ordered understanding of what Christ has come to do. Is it true that sometimes God heals? Yes. But always for a larger spiritual redemptive purpose. It's still miraculous. Because our hope is not meant to be focused on this physical world only. Our hope is is placed in something greater. I feel like I have to say this every time we talk about miraculous healings in the Bible. Every single person who was healed in Matthew chapter 8 died from something else. So this healing, it's temporary. Because something greater is coming. There will be a greater healing. We will have restored glorious bodies. But it's going to come in a new heaven and a new earth, joined by a new Jerusalem, where we will sit around and worship in the glory of God forever. You've got to have a right understanding there to make sure that you don't get so focused on the miracle that you miss the larger spiritual point that Jesus is making here. Friends, Jesus has come to offer a greater cleansing. He alone can touch what is clean and make it clean and not just for a moment, but for all of eternity. Here's what this is teaching Some of you in this room came here this morning and you feel the disease of your heart. You feel the sickness of your heart. And you're saying, Jared, you don't know how dirty I am. You don't know how diseased I am. I think I'm beyond repair. I don't think whatever Christ did is enough to save me and my wickedness. And maybe you've been told that. Maybe people in your life have said you're beyond hope, that there's no one who can save you, that God doesn't want you. But you need to go back and look at chapter 8 of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 1 to 17, and can see that that is all a lie. That Jesus notices you. Jesus knows how dirty you are. And I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus will touch you. Jesus will get up all in your business. And he will love you. And your dirtiness will not make him unclean. But here's the beauty of the power of his purity. He will make you clean. I don't care how dirty you are. I don't care if you're like a urinal cake. Whatever grossness is in your life, it is not beyond the power of Christ's cleansing blood. You can trust in that today. No one is too unclean for Jesus, not even you. And then in sending the leper to the priest, 
Jesus reveals that the law was given to testify to his ability to make us clean. Think about this. Jesus wants this guy not to testify to everyone around him, but to go and to offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And in so doing, Jesus is connecting the dots of all of Scripture to show us that, hey, this is part of God's larger redemptive plan. This this isn't just a moment. This isn't just one miracle. But I'm doing something greater. In cleansing you, I'm showing you that you are now cleansed according to the the rule of law. You're going to be considered clean by the law that God has given. And here's the good news. When I make you clean, nothing makes you unclean. I want you to go. I want you to to put yourself before the priest. I want you to put yourself according to the standard of the law. And I want them to declare you righteous, not because of your works, not because of what you've done, because of what I've done. And the law will give testimony that the cleanness that I give makes you clean, really clean. The righteousness that I give, it makes you righteous, really righteous. And that is a greater miracle than just this momentary relief of a physical disease. You see, this kind of cleansing comes through faith. Faith in Jesus alone for salvation. Faith that God himself gives. And it's not dependent upon your religious activity. It's not dependent upon the family you were born into. But again, has everything to do with what you do with Jesus. Jesus says so here, as he's talking about the centurion, I tell you, verse 10, no one in Israel has displayed this kind of faith. There are many from the east and west who will recline at a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There are a whole lot of Gentiles that are going to be sitting around the table of God's people because of their faith and the warning. There's a whole lot of religious people, sons, quote unquote, of the kingdom, who will be thrown into the outer darkness and the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because they do not have that kind of faith. They've not been cleansed, even though they think they deserve it, because they have not placed their faith in me. Jesus does something surprising in this passage. He heals people, but not just physically, He's telling us that he's come to heal us in greater ways, spiritually. Teaching us about his kingdom and who is fit for it. And reminding us of the greater work that he has come to do. A physical display to reinforce a spiritual reality. So how shall we respond this morning? to the teaching of God's word from this passage in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me just offer you four responses this morning to consider as we sit before the word. One, join this surprising people. Have you joined this collection of surprising people by placing your faith in Christ? Have you confessed him as Lord? Believing that he alone can heal in you what needs to be healed. Have you been touched by Jesus? 
Or do you feel like you're untouchable? Do you feel like you're beyond the reach of Christ? You're not. You're not. Here's what I know from the testimony of Scripture. If you will come to Christ and you will confess him as Lord and say, God, I know you can save me. Will you save me? The mere fact that you would ask that question and desire it shows that he will. The desire wouldn't be there if God didn't give it to you to place your faith in him alone for salvation. Come join us. We're a collection of misfits. We live on the island of misfit toys. If you've been watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, all of us are broken. All of us were dirty, but Christ has made us clean. And that's why we worship him. Come join us by placing your faith in Christ. The world may not think you're worthy, but Christ does. Praise the Lord for that, amen? Secondly, recognize the reality of God's greater work. Let this season of hope be a season where you properly situate your hope. Remember, physical healing is not the ultimate hope. It's not normative. But Jared, does that mean that if I am sick, if I have COVID or if I have cancer, that I shouldn't pray for healing? Of course not. God can certainly heal. But remember, if he chooses in his divine wisdom to heal you, it's always for a larger salvific, redemptive purpose. Here's the prayer that I think we should pray. Lord, I know you can heal me. And if it be your will, if you can get some sort of glory and call people to yourself through my healing, I'm asking that you heal me. But God, if you want to get glory through my disease and give me a different kind of healing, then I'm willing to do that too. Whatever your will, that's what I'm choosing. That's what I'm trusting in. And that's a hard prayer to pray, guys. Because we don't want to die. We don't want illness to ravage our bodies. But friends, again, our hope is not only in this world. Our hope is for something greater. And that's where we have to place our trust. And we have to trust in the wisdom of God enough to do with our lives as he wills. Do you trust in the greater work of God? Not just physical healing, but the spiritual healing that will lead you to a place where you can sit around a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for all of eternity. I'd rather die from a disease in the will of God than be sent to a place of outer darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth for the rest of my life, for all of eternity. Thirdly, ask the Lord to help you keep your posture right before him. As the people of God, may we seek to rightly remember who Jesus is as our king and who we are as his citizens and servants. May we be a people who are faithful, humble, trusting in the sovereignty of God and continually serving our king out of gratitude because he's healed us. And finally, may we think about in this Christmas season who needs this hope. I want you to think about even something that Corey led us in praying earlier. Yes, there are millions, billions of people around the world who don't know Christ. 
And we need to send missionaries out to them. In fact, we've got two missionaries here this morning that have gone out to them. Hello, outlaws. My guess, though, is that in the course of the next couple of weeks, you're going to see a lot of people in your homes, your work, in your neighborhoods, who don't know Christ, who consider themselves unclean and are hoping in the wrong thing. Will you be like the angels that we read about in Luke 2 and declare to them good news of great joy? Will you help them see what you've seen and ask the Spirit to save them? We can go and tell now. We've been called to go and tell so that people can see not just a miracle worker, but a miraculous Savior who will take away our sins. Wherever you are, do you bow your head? Spend some time asking the Holy Spirit to help you know how to respond. Do you know Christ? Have you been touched by him and are you a part of his people? Oh, but today would be the day that you would confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Is your hope properly situated in the future promises of God? Do you have the right posture before God? One of trust and faith, gratitude. And are you willing to be a messenger, someone to testify of this great healing that God has done for you in Jesus to the people around you who are in need? And maybe you could even ask the Lord, Father, would you give me an opportunity in the next few weeks to share this good news with someone? And maybe he'll bring someone to your mind. Would you just resolve, maybe ask your spouse or your friend who's with you or text someone after the service, say, hey, I'm resolving to, to speak the gospel to this person. Would you hold me accountable to it? Because I want them to know what I know. Father, we are so grateful and rejoice in what you have done for us in Jesus. Help us to esteem you rightly today because of it. And Father, may we worship you for how you have touched us and saved us and healed us from the sickness and disease that sin brought into our lives. May we serve you in worship, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and respond in seeking to our good God.